It's day 19, Napod Pomo. We're getting very close to being done with this year's event. On today's episode, I want to share an upcoming episode of Eric Bedell. He's going to appear on the Dead America podcast on June 8th of 2022. So make sure you catch the full episode on the Dead America podcast. We're going to give you about a third of this episode. You definitely want to listen to this whole episode. But let's get into this teaser. I hope you're ready for today's episode of Dead America doing Napapo. Let's get into this. Today we are with Eric Bedell. He is a holistic development coach. Eric, could you please introduce yourself and give a little background about yourself, please? Yeah. First off, I appreciate you having me on, Ed. Uh, I've been looking forward to having this chat and um, whatever, whatever the, wherever the dialogue leads us, um, I'm, I'm excited about it. <laughs> um, let's see. A little bit about myself. I am based in Brooklyn. I grew up on Long Island in New York, kind of bounced around, lived upstate uh, for a bit, but been in Brooklyn for a little permanent residence anyway for two years. Um, I've got a pretty strong family unit, which is uh, ha- coming, definitely coming handy in the last two years worth, worth of uh, world sort of, uh, let's say challenges. I guess we could, we could leave it there. Um, <laughs> it's been nice having having some stable support, my background. So like you said, I'm a holistic development coach and I kind of got into this uh, in a very roundabout way. I I struggled with um, body image issues when I was young, severe bullying. I was kicked off of sports teams uh, because parents of the kids my own age were afraid I'd injure them because I was overweight. Um, I got bullied as a result of, of that, of my weight and, uh, ended up changing bus routes and the whole, the whole nine kind of followed me for a bunch of years until I discovered, I took matters in my own hands, um, dove headfirst into what I thought would be the solution, which is getting thin, uh, had a, had a fairly good battle with anorexia. Um, and that kind of like, that kind of like informed a lot of the rest of my life in terms of seeking solutions for how to feel, let's say better in my own skin, how to, uh, show up as myself. And that really was the kickstart, but a whole bunch of other things happened that I'm sure we'll get into. Um, (laughs) from there went to personal training went into other areas of, uh, personal development, ran a concert venue toward, uh, the U S and a, in a, a handful, about two dozen other countries, uh, playing 
playing music, primarily like punk rock drumming, um, really bounced around and went through a pretty crazy divorce, which I found the only helpful thing, um, or I would say the most helpful thing in that scenario was getting uh, coaching and getting introduced to coaching. And, uh, that's kind of what inspired me to change gears again and dedicate myself to becoming a coach. Um, that's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good run on introduction, but hoping that that <laughs> satisfies a little bit here and we can, we can use that as some kindling to. Well, that talk through it and I mean, that's for sure. You know, being in a band, uh, especially a rock band, I'm sure you've had your moments out there in the world and that, that entails, uh, a lot of the times drug abuse, uh, alcohol abuse, uh, sexual abuse, uh, a lot of things, you know, I, I hung around and worked with a rock band. I had a rock band play at my wedding, uh, reception. So mm. I I'm well aware of uh, how bands can be. It's kind of awesome and cool lifestyle. I'm not ashamed of where I came from, but yet I don't indulge like I used to in those lifestyles. How, how has that type of environment affected who you are today? Oh, tremendously, tremendously. I mean, I, first off, I appreciate, I, I like hearing that. Um, and how close you've come to that, to that lifestyle. So we can really have a conversation, uh, where I, where I know we're both kind of aligned on like understanding what goes into that. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, the drug, alcohol, sexual, whatever, whatever other abuses can show up, they often do, um, in, the, in that world. So, um, how did that, let's see, I mean, that absolutely informed who I am today for sure. Um, not only who I am, but how I show up as a coach, how I show up in my relationships. Um, because a lot of those things I'm, I'm, it was a, it was a very long multi-year battle, but like you said, I also don't indulge to the same degree I used to. And that's because I, um, I learned that what I was, what I was really after in my life, um, a lot of those, a lot of those, let's say vices, uh, were taking me further from it. And so in terms of just what, whatever, whatever area of life we're talking about, a lot of those things were taking me further, including the ones that I thought they were benefiting at the time, like, um, you know, creativity and adventure, um, and, um, you know, just, uh, exploration. But the truth is when you're hung over all the time, you need to feel like shit from indulging in some of these things. <laughs> it's really hard to enjoy some of that stuff Yeah, and be conscious. Uh, you know, it's just, yeah, I think that's really it. That's a re great way to kick it back to you is it's, uh, I I've been, uh, <laughs> at parties after work that ended up being 
you know, you've got two hours to be to work. So you work all day, all night, and mm -hmm. you party until two hours before work. And somehow I never got hurt or anybody else around me never got hurt. Uh, there's, there's many times I look back at some of my indulgent lifestyles and say, wow, how did I live through that? You know, because I, I really suffered from that, you know, lonely heart syndrome where I needed to be accepted. And if I wasn't part of the crowd, I wasn't going to be accepted. And there's a lot of mentality that we play with developing ourselves. This mental burdens that we put on ourselves sometimes is kind of ignorant really and stupid. Uh, but we all tend to go through that before we look inward and find ourselves and say, Hey, this is not who or what I really want to be. I enjoy it. I like it. I enjoy the people, but I kind of want something else. Have you had that feeling? And if so, when did you get to that point? Hmm. That's a great question. Uh, yeah, the sh I mean, the short answer is yes, absolutely. I'm trying to think of where to answer this, what angle to answer this from, but maybe from personal experience first, definitely went through my own, my own, I don't know what the word I want to use here is my own, uh, self-reflective moments, those pauses to, to, um, assess really what I'm, what I was going for. Um, you know, outside of what the social landscape may be suggesting I go for, or even, uh, indoctrinating to some degree with, with what is expected to, to, to be done in, in one person's life. But so I, I guess the short answer is, um, you know, I identified, uh, as a, I don't know, let's say a radical, uh, an anti-establishment radical punk from the time I was like 15, uh, from, from around 14, 15 and on. Um, I sort of found that, especially as I was in the intro, I was explaining some of this like body image and disordered eating struggles that I faced. Um, the punk rock community, especially at that time when I found it was, it was like a beacon of hope. Like I could, uh, just show up as whoever I was and I could figure out who I was in this sort of safety capsule. Um, but alongside that was just on, uh, you know, the rejection of conventional living. And so like, even when I was younger, I remember going like, well, who the hell am I outside of what I'm told I should be and what I should do, like you said, to, uh, to feel accepted. Um, that was like probably the first time, but, um, it, you know, it, it came, it, there was an ebb and flow throughout the next, um, 15 years or so, let's say. And then I really, uh, like everything came to the surface when I, when I went through my divorce and I was with my partner of 11 years, um, she 
um, had been going through a, a lot of mental health challenges, let's say, and um, ultimately, you know, what, what came to light was that she needed to explore her sexual preferences. And uh, so she fell in love with another woman. And I, it was the, f the first really, really big experience of, of uh, understanding that you know, a lot of times in our lives, we have zero control over the outcome or it can feel like that. And, uh, that I, I looked at myself where I no longer had someone to, you know, want like you, in your words before, it's like, want to be accepted and be longing for that acceptance and, um, playing in the social, um, exchange. Uh, it was like, I, I just didn't, I had no idea who I was and that set me on this course to becoming a coach because as I started to try really, really hard to figure out who I was, some things started to come to light that I really liked about what was deeper in there that I either ignored or never paid much attention to. And, um, yeah, that's a pretty long answer there, but yeah. All right. I uh, love long answers, Eric. Yeah. You know, that, yeah, that, that, uh, searching, it, it goes on forever. I mean, I'm now about 56 and my wife and I, we have been married for 36 and been together 38 years. And through those. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. You know, we met at 17 and. At 17, I was a wild child. I'll tell you, I, I told her I'm going to be <laughs> dead at 25. You know, you sure you want to go on this ride? And, uh, I come from a hellbound family. You know, we, we just had it in our blood that it was all about hell raising. And we had bikers, biker gangs roll up on the front lawn all the time. You know, it's party time. And, then, uh, yeah, so many different environments that I've been surrounded in as a child, my mother and father, they separated a couple times, you know, and I watched these women who were supposed to be my mother, my aunts do these things in life that we all deal with, you know, and for many, many years, I struggled with well why are you partying and we're barely making it over here you know and these struggles that build us like you were talking about they develop mm -hmm. some darn good coaches now with my experience i've went to different counselors and i've noticed there's a lot of book counselors and then there's those trench counselors that get in the trench they've been there they've experienced life in these manners that you have experienced these are the people mm. that change your lives talk to us about how you mm. interact with people with your coaching how do you get people involved first off that's a that's a great that's a great question and i also i i love the the sort of uh, metaphor there of this, like the distinction between counselors, coaches, let's say just 
you know, service providers of, of like the, the, the distinction of like what happens when it's like a, a trench, a trench counselor. Um, I would say, I would say that, um, having gone through the number of things I've gone through, um, it, it allows me to connect with people, uh, in different, in different ways. Mainly, I think that the biggest thing that's, that's useful with being, let's like to use your word, a trench, a trench coach, um, is that, um, sometimes, sometimes when you're seeking some type of mental or emotional support and assistance, and you can, it's, it's easy to slip into this, um, this sense of like, well, I'm the fucked up one here. I'm the one that needs help. And, um, there's something unbelievably humanizing when you can share with a client, um, a difficulty or challenge that you have also experienced or faced in your life. There's something really humanizing about that and it creates like a really strong rapport with people and, and a trust that, oh, okay, well, this is like a person that's been through some stuff. I, I feel like my stuff, you know, it's just, it's just my stuff, you know, instead of I'm the only one that has challenges and you may never understand me kind of an outlook. I think, I think that's one way it really helps, but, but I also, I think it's really important. I should throw a caveat there because I think it's for me, especially my profession of coaching, I don't try to disclose my, I don't try to do that too often, only when it really feels necessary because, um, sometimes there's two things that happen. One, um, the, the sort of human possible, uh, characteristic of comparison might show up and now it could feel like me and my client are comparing who had crazier challenges to overcome, um, which is not a game you ever want to play. <laughs> That's anyone. a good point. Um, right. And I think the other thing that could happen too is, um, it, it needs to also stay in a position where where we aren't just friends having a conversation and talking about the crazy shit we've been through. Um, there needs to be a respect for the container that, um, uh, you know, of, of coach and coachee and not in terms of, um, hierarchy. That's not what I mean, but in terms of, you know, understanding that like, Hey, you're paying me to do this. And by paying me, I'm holding this space for you to transform into whatever the hell you, f you feel you need and want to transform into. And sometimes when you start sharing stories to the, like too far of a degree, you can lose the appreciation for that, for that sort of distinction. That's very professional. And that is a good coach. So when you can distinguish, Hey, we're here for a session, not a friendship that that's unique, mm -hmm. but you know, a lot of people can just feel and recognize automatically that they're dealing with somebody of a caliber. So mm. in your work, you talk about breath work. 
I've often heard about breath work. I've interviewed individuals that actually work in breath work. What does that mean to you and how does it help your coaching? Hmm. So let's see, I'm trying to figure out the best way to, the best way to what place to come from here. I, I'm likely pretty late to the breath work, uh, game in terms of, you know, the fringe holistic health practitioners. Um, and, and if we're being real honest with ourselves, we're all late to the game because a lot of these practices are thousands of years old, uh, taken from a lot of sort of really old texts and, uh, adapted for modern understanding, let's say, uh, but even, even still, um, I still don't think it has enough appreciation for its power and its simplicity. Um, the breath is one of the few tools that connects both to the autonomic nervous system, right? Where like the things that run themselves, um, and, and like, and the, the, the parts of our nervous system that we have control over and being that, that, that being the case, like that means that, well, like there is a reason for that. That's not an accident. That is not a, an evolutionary, uh, you know, misstep. That's very intentional. Like why, why would the breath be able, why, how, why should you be able to have conscious, deliberate control over your breath? And, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of reasons why that, you know, we can speculate why that's the case based on anthropology and all sorts of other stuff. But, um, without having to go too far into the, why is that the case? We can say, well, what's useful about that? And what is amazing is when you start to look at all of the breathing ex, uh, the breathing, uh, research it. Uh, and I think a really good, like surface level read for anyone that's interested in anything I'm talking about right now, uh, is a, I think it was a New York times bestseller for quite a bit, uh, came out maybe 2019 or so. Um, James Nestor wrote a book called breathe and he does a great job of like going through and talking about the anthropological, um, markers of, of ways of breathing and how it impacts our physical body, um, what's possible with certain approaches to breath work. Uh, so that's a cool place for people to start, but to more, to more like try to, to zero in on your question, like how do I incorporate that into coaching? Um, like a real simple example here is when you're, when you are in a stressed um, closed off, you know, either fight, flight, flee, freeze type scenario. Um, if you were to be able to bring some mindfulness, mindfulness to it, you might recognize that you're breathing super fast. There's a rapid pace for breathing and you're likely breathing through your mouth. Um, and that's for a number of you know, biological reasons too, right? When we're going through the mouth, there's, uh, there's a, a much faster uptake and release time. Um, doesn't get filled. doesn't have to go through the filters of your nose. Um, 
all of all of these like things can happen and that basically kicks on that that's an easy way to activate your sympathetic nervous system which is basically like hey we got to do work like we got stuff to do we got to be on the lookout um versus breathing through your uh, like a very simple switch is just intentionally closing your mouth and breathing through your nose um there's so much physical physiological stuff that happens with that uh and the reason it's effective in coaching is that when you just ask someone to breathe through the nose they cannot breathe as fast Mm. it's very difficult for someone to like breathe quickly rapidly shallow through the nose there's a lot more um there's a lot more like I would say mindfulness that comes into play as soon as you do an action like that. And what that allows is the body to switch from sympathetic, you know, excitation into parasympathetic, which is recovery, relaxation, openness. And when that happens in a coaching session, it changes the relationship between the coach and the coachee. It often allows the coachee, you know, the the person getting coached to be more willing to to talk through something that's uncomfortable, but honest to themselves. They may be more willing to be vulnerable and talk through some dark shit that they would have normally closed off in a, you know, a, a, a knee jerk kind of rejection kind of mode. Uh, so that's, that's one of the best tools that I found to, to use it among, there's a whole bunch of others that, you know, long-term, um, you know, just nasal breathing in general uh has just like unbelievable benefits to the body in terms of its function and its longevity um so yeah i don't know hopefully that that answers enough but that's how i try to use light is utilize it in uh in actual coaching work yeah i find it fascinating what breath really can accomplish and you know i didn't even think about breathing until I started listening to people like Christian Del Huerta and, you know, uh, Mm. these, these individuals actually take time to think about it and present it. I'm into those people and Mm -hmm. I'll check out that book. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested in learning more about breathing because I really think you, you, you mentioned there's a lot of like science in there the the uptake and but when we really just start practicing it it really can help calm us down in a situation and Mm -hmm. sometimes that's a lot of it all we need to do is step back and breathe to avoid a lot of confrontational nightmare things you know you know it's like it's when we're growing up, if you're, ha- if you're freaking out about something, you you know, if you have any well-intentioned parents or adults around, they're going to like, okay, just take some deep breaths. And we, we like all sort of understand that. Like we know that happens, but we're like, why is that? Like, why, why is it understood? You take some deep breaths. Like, what does that do? Like we know on the surface, it calms us down. <laughs> um, yeah. Weird. It's, it's funny. We like have a, Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. I, I I'm curious what you're what you're going to. Oh well, I, I could go everywhere. <laughs> you know, that's just how these things go. <laughs> it, it's it's kind of cool. You 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 mentioned earlier in our conversation about 
uh, body image. I, I find so many people mm. that are destroyed over this and still to this day, uh, little things, you know, uh, like a woman needing to have makeup to feel beautiful. Um, these are mm. body image things that we work with. Um, some of the body images you work with men primarily, is that correct? Yeah, primarily I do. Yeah. But I, I have, I have, uh, I have a number of female clients as well. Oh, okay. Well, well, what are some of the body, uh, image issues that men deal with? Can you comment on that or has it been brought up in your? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, I mean, maybe a first place to start is just my own experience uh-huh. because I, I think, um, I think that'll, you know, as, as a, as a man, uh, growing up, you know, in a fairly, you know, I was in a fairly safe environment. Um, and to still be troubled with things like that, um, it, it sometimes it's hard for people to understand. And I think, I do think it's becoming more accepted that men can struggle with that. Uh, but the truth is this, right? Uh, I, well, I'll speak from experience first and I'll, I'll add sort of like some social commentary maybe, but, um, I was seeing, um, that I, I was watching other people that were my age, um, gaining more friends. Um, you know, being more popular, popular with, uh, with potential partners, um, you know, building, uh, getting more slots on team sports. Um, and there was this sort of common thread that they were, they were physically fit, attractive, um, you know, aesthetically pleasing there was a charisma there was a confidence that came with it there was this like package of people that i knew and and i and i wasn't getting any of those things in fact i was getting uh bullied uh constantly and um i you know i so i I think on a on a on a personal experience level it became clear to me like oh well weight like being overweight equals unhappiness um, that's how I experienced it. And, and then you throw on top of that, uh, how, and this is, this has been true as long as, as long as there's been someone else, uh, offering media to, to the individuals, um, then there's a lot of reasons for it. But when you have, especially the time I was growing up, you have, you're, you're inundated with, um, you know, attractive people in films and shows and on television and, uh, you know, marketing campaigns that highlight, uh, you know, highlight and use, uh, sex and attractiveness as a sales tool. And it, there's like just a litany of things that become, they just infiltrate the, the culture to the point where even subconsciously we don't realize that we're judging ourselves against a standard that's been built by 
a massive industry that uses a very small number of people to embody this stuff that we should all, you know, aim for. And I think that's a big, I think that's a big part of it. And specifically for men, and this is like an interesting one, because uh, just, you know, in, in sort of a current, the current like sociopolitical landscape, maleness and masculinity to some degree is like controversial. Um, and there's a whole bunch of reasons like why we could talk about that, but yes, but what's fascinating is uh, like, I had a client that thanked me for being an example of someone of, of a man in the, the punk rock community that we both sort of existed in. He thanked me for being the example of a man who cared for his body, strength trained, was strong was confident in being strong. Uh, you know, this is how he perceived me. And he was like, that's all I want. But this culture, especially that like niche culture of, of punk rock was, you know, it kind of, there's sort of a sense sometimes that if you embody some of this like strong man, um, you know, this like sort of these classic archetypes of masculinity, then you're automatically what, you know, you'd be called like a bro or, uh, toxic or, uh, someone who belittles women or is, you know, macho chauvinistic, whatever, all the stuff stuff starts to come into play, which is fascinating because it has nothing. We've never once talked about personality. We're talking about like physical health and wellness and, <laughs> I think it's, it's fascinating to me that I've had clients that are like, thank you for allowing me, for giving me the, um, opportunity to go after some personal health goals I wanted because I've been ashamed to become stronger for fear of, uh, falling into this category of toxic, uh, of, uh, you know, aggressive whatever else um so there's a lot of ways it can like manifest but that's those are just some examples i think to to sort of answer you yeah that that's very important that we touch on that because uh when we deal with that body image we we have that psychology behind it like you were talking about that herd mentality basically this is one of those things that I, I can actually see people are changing and there's a shift happening on it. Uh, later today, I'm going to be speaking with Clay Smeltzer and he's running mm. this brotherhood for men where he's doing just that. He's bringing men together and talking about these sensitive issues that all men really need to think about and change in their life, or maybe not. Mm -hmm. 